In Acts chapter 1 this morning, and, and really, uh, this is Independent Day, of course, weekend, and uh, we need to recognize those that are first responders, those that have served our country, those that are serving in our service and stuff. We want to recognize them. Is there anybody that has served or serving our country or is a first responder, policeman or fireman? Anybody here like that? Let's just give them a hand and let's just thank them for their service and for first responders, for being who they are and just, uh, you know... Um, sacrifices that they made and we appreciate it um, but we're also indebted to another group of people and I want to mention this and I'm going to mention a lot of different groups but one also we're indebted to teachers I mean there's probably not a person here that has not been blessed by a teacher at some time in their life because teachers you know they shape us they form us and teachers help make us who we are um, someone once said and I liked it I think it was John Maxwell he said that you know attorneys are not born people are not born doctors They're not born leaders. You know, we have certain talents and gifts that we have. But it's teachers that begin to give us knowledge. They dispense knowledge and they begin to teach us and they shape us. And in fact, if you are an instructor, you're a professor, you're a teacher, would you stand right there where you're at? Please stand. All teachers, professors, instructors of any kind. I want to invite you to stand and let's give them a hand and just thank the Lord for their influence in our lives because they are are, they are. Amen. And they are dispensers of knowledge. And that's kind of where I want to jump off this morning. Because those that dispense knowledge change the world. I mean, think about it for a moment. I mean, the truth therein. Those that dispense knowledge change the world and we are indebted to them. Those that are that are, are hungry to know and learn and then they share what it is they have with, with others. I, I like this smart remark from Benjamin Franklin, of all people. He said this. He writes this. He says, we're all born ignorant, but one must work hard to remain stupid. <laughs> Socrates, he said this to know is to know that you know nothing. And the older I get, the more that I embrace that, that to know. And the more that I know, the more that I realize I really don't know. And there's not much that I do know. And so we recognize that, you know, knowledge, you know, it's, it's a big deal. It impacts us. Knowledge impacts us. In fact, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, looking at verse 15, we read, study to show thyself approved. And, and of course, you know, the, the challenge is about the word of God and understanding the word of God and gaining, gaining the knowledge that the word has for us. And, and so we, we look at this knowledge as something that transforms and changes lives, really. In fact, we go to the book of Acts, if you have God's word. We're going to go to Acts this morning. And we're going to be looking at the beginning of the early church here in Acts chapter 1. So let's go there this morning together. Acts chapter 1, looking at verse 1 through verse 5. And it's the very beginning of the activity of that early church. And that's exciting because a lot of times the most exciting stuff happens in the very beginning. Like, like I remember as a kid, my dad used to take me to the rodeo. And there would be the guys, you know, the cowboys that were riding the bulls. And as soon as the gate would swing open, I mean, you could almost sense, it was almost, you know, almost tasted the the energy that was in the air as that bull exploded. And the cowboy is trying to hang on to the bull or maybe the bucking horse or whatever it was. And there was this energy, it was the very beginning, all of this excitement. I remember at the rodeo, I mean, the energy that was in the air as we watched this happen. And we come to the beginning of the early church and there is a lot of energy and Jesus has been resurrected from the dead and a lot is happening. And so we go to the book of Acts in chapter one and with with some anticipation that there there is knowledge here. 
There is knowledge that that not only changed the world, but it's knowledge that transforms lives. I mean, what good is it if we do all the singing and all the worship that we do and all everything that we do? But we do not allow that knowledge to transform our life, to change our life. Because we can listen to secular music. Excuse me. We can listen to secular music and we can be inspired. We can listen to secular music and we can become, you know, emotional, you know, emotionally moved and we can become energetic and all that. We can get excited about a, a program. But what really what really changes things is the fact and the truth and the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus has done for us. When he came to this earth and he died on the cross that we might have everlasting life. And I know, I mean, I understand that it, that seem, sounds so just rhetorical. We, we know this. But I, I think it's good for us to be reminded sometimes of these basics as we look at this passage. That this was the beginning of a big thing. You ever been a part of a big thing? I mean, felt like that you're, you, you have this blessing. You get to be a part of something that's a big thing. This is a big thing, this, this new church, this early church. And I'm excited about it, just reading about it. Let's read it together in Acts chapter 1, verse, verse 1 through 5. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Now notice, it's interesting, language is not so much, <clears throat> excuse me, spiritual as it is As it is teaching, because we see the word there teaching, we see the word there instruction. I mean, follow me, follows the line of thinking here. There is facts, there are facts, there's something that he's trying to to remind us of. He's wanting to record what's happened here. Verse 3, after supper, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. And we're going to hang there for just a little bit or, or try to camp out there by the end of the message today. I, 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 want to, I want us to understand that. I want us to think about the instruction that Jesus Christ gives them in regards to going to Jerusalem and saying, hey, guys, you camp there because there's something that is coming. There's something that's a big thing. Again, it's great to be a part of a big thing. And Jesus is saying as he's pointing this out that, hey, there's there's this big thing that's coming. And then we continue to read, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Precious Father, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you, Father, that you you speak in your word, in the scriptures. And I thank you, Father, that, Lord, that you are, are likely speaking to us right now. And there, there is something that you want us to hear. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would just open our hearts, open our mind, that, Father, that we might hear your voice and not the voice of the pastor. I pray, Father, that we'd have no distractions, that in this moment that we would dedicate the next say, 20 minutes or so or 30 minutes to just hearing your voice and hearing nothing else and not thinking about our afternoon or what we're going to have for lunch. But, Father, may we dedicate this moment, these minutes to you, Jesus, because this is a big thing. 
And we want to know about it. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Give us the knowledge that we need. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So, the passage tells us something. If we look at it kind of, uh, you know, maybe in, in a little bit of analysis type of way. It, it, it shows us, it teaches us something. Uh, I, I think as we learn in our relationship with Christ that that we need to read the the Word of God, not only just for inspiration, because sometimes I let it wash over me like the Holy Spirit. And as I read the Word, it's just washing over me and it's renewing me. But sometimes I read the Word more analytically and I'm, <clears throat> you know, I'm trying to, you know, dissect a little bit. What is it that's happening here? I mean, what's the context and, and who's involved here? And it tells us who's writing the book. In fact, we go to Luke chapter 1 and looking at verses 1 through 3. And with the read there, we would see that, of course, Dr. Luke is writing the book of Acts. I mean, you know that. But specifically, we go to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And we come to the end of that passage. Follow me now, if you're turning there. Luke chapter 1. At the end of verse 3, he says, I too... Luke writing, he says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So there's the the name Theophilus. So we see there in the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, the connection. When we begin to read that passage there, he says in my former book, Theophilus, again, Luke writing, and that's who was writing to Theophilus before. So we have the evidence, I mean, the facts that here is the author of the book of Acts. So we understand that. And then in the next verse, uh, you know, it begins to tell us what what happens to Jesus. We know that Jesus is crucified, that Jesus Christ is tortured. We know that this is on our behalf and that that Jesus is God that has become flesh. And, and it's rhetorical. We know all these things. But again, it's great that we have this knowledge because it's the knowledge that shares, that changes lives, that transforms lives. I mean, I had an idea of God. I, I went to church and I remember sitting on tiny little chairs in Sunday school, little straw tear, chairs and singing Stop and Go and Jesus Tells Me and Jesus Loves Me and singing all these little songs. And, and so I understood. I had the grasp in my mind that there was a God. But, folks, it wasn't until I was a young teenager, a little bit later in life, that, that there was this knowledge that came to me that absolutely shook the ground that I was standing on that I was sitting on and the knowledge that shook the ground that I was standing on. It was the knowledge of who Jesus Christ really was. And when I begin to grasp who Jesus Christ really was, and Jesus Christ was tortured, and he was crucified and murdered on that cross on my behalf, and, and the fact that after he was resurrected from the dead, that Paul records later on, I think in 1 Corinthians, that he appears to over 500 people giving evidence again and again that Jesus had really been resurrected from the dead. And then that, that Jesus ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And this knowledge came flooding down upon me. And when I gained the knowledge... It transformed my life when I recognized who Jesus Christ was. Amen. And so it's key that we come to this passage. I mean, here in chapter one of of Acts and we we make note of of this, these facts. So Jesus was tortured, crucified. What's some more facts? Go with me. Study with me for a moment. Go back to the passage again. It, It tells of the parousia. The parousia, which is really, by definition, the arrival of, of a presence. I mean, if you're looking at a secular Webster's Dictionary type of definition, it's a, the, the, the arrival of a presence. But in, and, of course, 
you know, the Greek lexicon, our definition as Christians, it would be the arrival of the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so he's he's giving this knowledge of this fact that the presence of the Holy Spirit was coming. You see, this is the big thing. This is the big thing. And, and the title on the bulletin is act like a Christian. I cannot imagine acting like a Christian without the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm saying the flesh, when it is ruling in my life and I'm allowing the flesh to be in control of my life, I fall short. And I get my eyes on things and I get my eyes on others and my eyes go to everything else but Jesus Christ and all of a sudden I'm messed up. Because I fall short without the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the big thing that he was talking about. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I I don't know if a person can really act like a Christian. Unless they have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit. When there is the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and long-suffering. And we begin to say, okay, this is what Christianity means. I mean, if I'm created in the image of God and it's the Holy Spirit living in me that helps me live more like his image, then love is not just, okay, an emotion that I feel for somebody, but love is this action thing so that I see my neighbor and I see my neighbor is missing out or my neighbor is desperate or my neighbor is hungry. And it's this action thing. It's this action word that says, okay, we're going to do something for our neighbors. Amen. I, I, I love the fact that in this, this process of, of casting a vision, and you guys have been a part of it. We, we did a survey, and then the staff's been wrestling with it, and the board has been wrestling with it. In September, we're going to roll this thing out, and I'm excited that, that a very large portion, that one-third of it is us impacting the lives of our neighbors. Us doing some kind of ministry and service to our community and seeing lives transform because we are going to not just say we're the church. We're going to be the church. It concerns me and not for recognition or honors or accolades. But if you ask somebody in Mission Valley, have you ever heard of Mission Church of the Nazarene? And they say no. And to me, that's saying that we're not being the church and that we need to be the church and that that not for recognition, but that that we might be the hands and the feet of Christ for his glory. Amen. And so we recognize that that the the Lord is he's teaching us something here in in the simple facts that we see in the beginning of of this early church. We need the Holy Spirit. The leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that that then is paramount to, I think, the next steps as far as a believer goes or as a Christian that we understand, OK, how how do we act like a Christian? How how does this become reality? I mean, without the Holy Spirit in our life, that's that's a big thing. Amen. I think part of it is maybe removing a, what we would call preachers would call congregational blocks. That's kind of a phrase. That preachers uses and as we learn and we go to school, we we learn different phrases that help us, you know, prepare a message. And one phrase is congregational block. That means emotional blocks or questions that we have in our mind that that prevent us from being open to the message that the preacher is is sharing. Like, for example, 
Here is a congregational block. The pastor is talking about the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is real, are you following me? If the Holy Spirit is real, then why don't I feel the Holy Spirit all the time? That's a congregational block. And maybe maybe not even being open to what it is the preacher is saying about the Holy Spirit unless we answer the question about, well, why don't I, I experience and feel the Holy Spirit all the time? And then we go to the book of Romans and we see Paul kind of responding to that because we recognize that the Holy Spirit intercedes on behalf of our spirit, right? He intercedes on behalf of our spirit in, in different moments and times and he can intercede in, in our emotions and he sometimes even communicates in words that we cannot even articulate. And so there is this movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we seek him and he becomes present or we draw back from him. And now we're, we're, we're missing out because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to To control our minds and influence our thinking. Paul talks about the war in Romans chapter 7. He says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. You recognize that? That part of the passage of the word here? And then he says, for in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And so there is this battle that is being waged, of course, between the law of sin and death and that temptations that we we feel in our life. And then, of course, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit that is in our life. So we need to recognize that sometimes, you know, you say, well, why do I not feel the Holy Spirit all the time? Well, maybe it's because you're not seeking the Holy Spirit all the time. Or you're not open to what the Holy Spirit is trying to show you all the time. Another congregational block is, is the Holy Spirit a concept created by man to explain inner peace or inspiration? Kind of a more of a humanistic way of describing the Holy Spirit. Well, to answer that is to understand the relational nature of God. And this is what I'd say. I would say understanding that that we have and serve a triune God and understanding the Trinity and the relationship, the interrelated relationship there is between God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in that intimacy and in that relational understanding, which is called perichoresis, we understand that God is, his very essence is that God is a relational God. That he desires relationship with you. He desires to have relationship with you. He wants to be in relation with you. And we recognize that and learn that from, from the Trinity. Another congregational block, maybe, in regards to the Holy Spirit is does the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to this. This might be intriguing for some of you. Does the presence of the Holy Spirit require the presence of supernatural occurrences? You know, and I think sometimes we we start leaning this way. We think, oh, okay. I mean, if the Holy Spirit really was present. You know, there'd just be this supernatural thing that happens or this thing that happens when we start kind of, you know, start kind of putting the Holy Spirit in a box. But yet the passage, the scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a helper. In fact, we see that in John 15. The, the scripture says that he is our helper. The scripture talks about the Holy Spirit is one that intercedes on our behalf Um He is the one that that produces the fruit of the spirit in our life. I mean, recognize that another one in Acts. Another one is that that the Holy Spirit brings confirmation of salvation. And yes, in the spiritual realm and in heaven, certainly that is supernatural. 
but not here. We may not see it that way as, you know, a miracle. But yet, is it not? I mean, when someone says, I, I follow Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, you know, plays such an important role. And, and we, we encounter all of this in the beginning of the book of Acts. But, but the biggest question, kind of back to the beginning, the biggest question that precedes baptism. And we're going to have a baptism in just a minute, just a little bit. But the biggest question that precedes, you know, baptism is, is what comes before I mean, look at the look at the passage again. We're following a pattern. You were you were following me there in the beginning. So uh, go back back to the original passage, Acts chapter one, and notice the word teach. I mentioned that I underlined that the word teach, the word instruction, and then convincing proofs that the phrase there and the command. So what's happening here? That what precedes baptism is is knowledge, and it's the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is that transforms a life. I, I was I was blessed. I was really blown away when um, I had the opportunity to meet a, a lady whose life had been transformed because of the knowledge she gained about who Jesus Christ was and God's work in her life. In, in fact, it, it would move your heart. In fact, I, I was thinking about some weeks ago of calling and paying her way and flying her here from Nashville, Tennessee, and the way schedules worked out didn't work out. But I would have loved for her to come and share her testimony. This this lady, uh, let's call her Loretta, just for you know sake of this message. But Loretta was um, she was a prostitute, and she literally worked the street right in front of of Trevecca Nazarene University, and. Um, Trevecca Nazarene University, if you've never been there in Nashville, Tennessee, is kind of in an industrial area. It's not a pretty area, and there's a lot of industrial buildings and a lot of liquor stores, and I mean, it's a rough area, and it's definitely a red-light district. And, and so as you, you drive towards Trevecca Nazarene University, now, when you get on campus, it's beautiful and spectacular, like Point Loma. Well, not quite like Point Loma, I shouldn't say that. There's no ocean outside the campus there. But, but anyways, it's beautiful, and, but, but before you get on campus... You're you're probably likely going to see somebody work in the streets. And she tells about the time that night she had had a couple Johns, as they call them, I guess, and one had beat her up and it kicked her out in front of the college right there. And and she was crying and she remembers looking at the college, that gate one day, one day I'm going to go there. There was a seed that was planted in her heart, and what happened is the, the church got a new pastor, Dwight Gunner, and they began to do this special street ministry. And, and what happens is she encounters somebody that, that has some knowledge. She encounters somebody that has the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, and what Jesus Christ had done, and, and how Jesus Christ died on the cross for her. And, and, and all of a sudden, this life was transformed because of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And she gave her heart to Jesus, and she started attending school. And ladies and gentlemen, she graduated from Tobeka Nazarene University, is a professional today, supporting her church, loving her pastor, because of the power of the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Amen. Knowledge changes Lives. We have here in the book of Acts, we, we have the knowledge. It, it, it's, it, it's a big thing. I mean, the knowledge. I, I love the story I heard this morning on 
what is it, 96.5? It's a Christian station. And, and I was listening as I was praying and getting ready for this morning. And, and I was listening to this one call in. This young lady called in. She sounded like she was about 30. And she called in. I want to praise the Lord because this is our one-year anniversary. And so the news host said, the, the DJ said, oh, okay. Didn't sound like a big deal. She says, no, you don't understand. Let me tell you the story. She said, three years ago, my husband and I got divorced. Or four years ago, my husband and I got divorced. We have a little girl. And about a year ago, my husband came to pick up my little girl. And and he dropped off an eight-page letter when he came to pick up our little girl for a visit. And and I read the letter. And as I began to read the letter, he he shared how he didn't know who God was and had no relationship with Jesus Christ. And he was completely ignorant of the fact. And, And then somebody began to share the knowledge of who Jesus Christ was with him. And as they began to share the knowledge and began to share Christ and be Christ to him... Her ex-husband gave his heart to Jesus Christ and was saved. And he wrote this eight-page letter just telling her what a dirty rat he's been, how horrible he's been. But now I belong to Jesus. And he dropped the letter off and she said they spent time together. And now they got remarried and they're celebrating their one-year anniversary after their family was reunited together permanently because of the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. It's, it's a big deal what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We look at this passage in, in Acts chapter 1 here. And, and, and the knowledge that Luke is reminding us of is that Jesus died for us. Jesus is resurrected, defeated the sting of death for us. He gives instruction that, that we are to wait and we are to tarry there in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit because there's a big thing. And I think what happens sometimes is we've been to the city. I mean, we've been to Jerusalem. We've been to Jerusalem where it represents a place where God dwells. We've been there. We've, we've been where God is and we've heard his voice and we maybe even walked with him. and We've tasted the goodness of Christ and maybe we've been we've stood in the light. But. Time has passed and we're no longer in Jerusalem. We're no longer on the city or on the hill in the city of God. And we, we've kind of wandered off and, and now we're kind of somewhere, not sure where. And we believe in God and we go to church. But we're no longer dwelling in the city, tarrying and waiting to hear the voice of the Lord as Jesus instructed his disciples to do. To go there to Jerusalem, to tarry. Go to the city of the Lord and to wait in that city to hear the voice of God. And maybe it's been some time since you, you've tarried long enough to hear the voice of God. Maybe it's the fact that you've wandered off just a bit and, and you now are being reminded this morning the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's a big thing. Jesus is talking about it. It's a big thing. And the Holy Spirit is reminding you that maybe it's time to come back to the city of the Lord. To tarry long enough to hear his voice and say, God, I love you. God, I want to respond to you. God, I need your strength. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I need your spirit to intercede on behalf of my spirit because I have groans and I have bitterness and I have I have this thing. You know, God, I need the Holy Spirit. You see the knowledge, the knowledge here. Jesus Christ is transforms lives. I want to invite us to celebrate that this morning. Just for a moment, I'm going to have you bow your heads and then Jeff is going to come. Pastor Jeff is going to come and 
No, Molly's going to give us some instruction. That's right. Never mind. Molly's going to do it today. But let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Our precious Father in heaven, we love you so much. We thank you for today. We thank you for this hour. These few minutes that we've spent together, Lord, just worshiping you. Reflecting upon the word that, that is still alive and active because it contains the knowledge of who you are, God. The knowledge of who you became when you became flesh and dwelt among us. Of, of Jesus Christ. A knowledge that transforms lives. And I pray for that one this morning that is saying, I want to embrace that knowledge. I, I accept that. I, I need you in my life, God. Holy Spirit, I need you present in my life right now. Because God, you know what I'm wrestling with. You know what I'm going through right now. Just as between you and the Lord. Your head's bowed. Nobody's looking around. Just make this between you and Jesus. If you're praying that way, God, I need your knowledge. I want to invite you just to just quickly make eye contact with me. And I'm going to keep that private. Just between me and the Lord. Just very private. Just, just quick eye contact. And I'm going to lift you up privately in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Just quick eye contact. Lord, I need your presence. Holy Spirit, I need your power. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. I need, I, I need your presence, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being present right now. Lord, I thank you for this knowledge that transforms lives. Thank you, Jesus, for answering this prayer right now. Thank you, Father. We worship you. We worship you, God. We ask all these things in Christ's name.